This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. How you doing, 40 Waters? Welcome to the episode. This is episode 38 of season one. Um, getting through the year. Um, really excited about this week's episode, but before we get kicked off, I'm going to take care of the stuff at the beginning, uh, tell you all about all the things. Um, so first of all, you can find us on the internet at 40wattpodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Obviously, YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're not watching this on YouTube, we're over there as well. Um, I've got some demo stuff I'm going to be putting up real soon. I'm really excited about getting some of that stuff out there. Um, uh, you can also find us on uh, Patreon. So a lot of people don't, you know, we talk about Patreon supporting the show, and I really appreciate all of my Patreon supporters. They get some extra content every week. Um just going to remind you that it is over at patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast. We have multiple levels. You can support the show over there at, uh, you pick your poison. You decide what you can afford. If you can't afford to support the show, that is okay. You are completely welcome here. You can still support the show for free by sharing it with a friend, telling others about the show, sharing it on your social media, whatever you can do to help grow the show supports what we're doing here and the interviews and the guests that I have on some of the overhead costs. I really appreciate that. Um, now, if you do want to give uh, financially, there are different tiers all the way from $3 up to $50. At $3, I'll send you a little swag, and I really appreciate you supporting the show. At $50, I'll send you swag. You'll get extra content, and we'll do lessons every month. Uh, we'll sit down. We'll zoom in. We'll do guitar, bass, keys, whatever we want to do. We'll talk music theory. Uh, we'll nerd out real hard. I promise. Um, but $5 a month gets you extra content every week. So that is where most people tend to land. Um, remember at the end of the year, I am going to give 25% of all proceeds from Patreon to, uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, that is my charity for this year. It might end up being my charity for next year as well with, uh, Patreon being so small. I want to give as much as I can to, to that charity. Cause it's one that I really, really enjoy supporting. So having said all that, um, Y'all go find us on the website. You can find all that stuff there. Click, link, follow, rate, review, like, subscribe, everything. I want to get into this episode because I'm super excited. I've got Alex from Copper Sound uh, Effects Pedals over here talking about, uh, well, obviously, we're going to talk about the triple graph because I'm I'm super excited about that one. But Alex, I'm going to let you tell a little bit about yourself and a little bit about how you got into this. Sure. Thanks for having me, Philip. <coughs> so 
our origin kind of starts back in 2014. I had opened up a guitar center with a crew, a grand opening crew, um, south of Boston, where we build out of. And a few years into it, uh, I kind of just, you know, got the bug for guitar pedals like a lot of us do. Um, so a couple years into my tenure at GC, it was 2014, I started kind of, you know, messing around, building kits like a lot of us do. Um, I think one of the things that kicked it off, and it was actually now seven years ago, I got some type of timeline notification, I think on Google Photos, and it was the strategy pedal. The one that we build that is a preamp that looks like a cutout of a Stratocaster. Um, and I had built that for Jordan, one of the guys that works with us, and I had matched it to his guitar. I thought it'd be a fun, like, give back because he was helping me start the website. This is before he, he jumped on and became the digital guru. So everything that you see that looks good is his responsibility. <laughs> um, and I had made that for him as a gift. And it wasn't really even it, the branding on it was very young at the time. But just going back to that origins, I kind of was doing stuff for friends. And Guitar Center was such a great place for that because I had a lot of friends and colleagues and acquaintances and bands would come through and they'd always be very supportive of like wanting to get something custom made because they like the idea of like, oh man, I can choose what I want, which we kind of kept a lot of those principles of the a la carte method for stuff like I had mentioned the strategy. We also eventually kept that... Um, a la carte style with our Broadway, which is our germanium preamp that looks like a Telecaster. Yep. And we even adopted that. <coughs> uh, I think for about five years, we made this kill switch called the Telegraph Stutter, um, kind of a precursor to what the Triple Graph ended up turning into with Jack. Um, but yeah, that a la carte mode, like for friends and colleagues that really liked the idea of, oh man, it'd be cool if I could get this one. I just. I can choose all the knobs. I can choose the finish. I can choose the LED. They get really excited about that stuff, and it was kind of cool to see, and it was very encouraging. Um, and at that point, it was really just myself, and I was building on this small little table that was probably like you know, six feet wide by three feet deep, and I had all my bins and stuff like around me and like this outdoor lamp that would come down, and my cat would sit under it and just <laughs> soak in the warmth, and he would be he'd be pushing like, tools towards me like hey use this one I, like, I don't need that i don't need that one right now yeah but use this one right now and that's that went on for a while where i would work guitar center for 40 hours and then at night i would come home and essentially see what i could build at night and like every paycheck would kind of be like okay well i've got this much to spend i can allocate it and i can get ooh, i can get five enclosures this week damn i'm living high right now <laughs> I can get a couple of these capacities, <coughs> and that went on for a little while, and uh, eventually it bloomed into slowly, you know, adopting and having a crew. And everybody on our crew right now, with the exception of um, the two folk that we have from Berkeley College of Music that came in originally as interns, everybody started at the Guitar Center uh, where that we opened which is kind of cool. So it was a tight knit family and it just kind of spawn off. And, you know, I started doing this with some one-off stuff, custom built stuff, you know, people on reverb hitting you up, people on uh, direct messaging, that type of stuff. And it, it wasn't until 2016 that we actually started branding stuff really well and making our first pedal, which was uh Daedalus. 
That wow. was kind of the or, origin pedal for us was a reverb, which I I always looking back, I kind of I still enjoy the idea and the fact that our first pedal, like that, was actually fully branded with its style, its aesthetic, its format, its layout was a reverb pedal. I kind of yeah. looking back, I kind of still appreciate that. <clears throat> yeah, I I think that's really cool. I also distinctly remember the launch of the data list because listening to people try to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> the the diadalus the the what um no i it was great it was it was fantastic i i really you know you're seeing more and more of that so we look back and i talk to people all about pedals and how most people start and like for example i i want to i don't want to start a company i tell people all this time all the time i don't want to i nothing in me wants to start a pedal company but i'd love to build a couple here and there right just for fun um, mm-hmm. and everybody, like I look at drive pedals or a fuzz pedal, like that's what you start with. That's what everybody starts with. And so, and, and you did, you built like the strat stuff when you're first building, but I love that like your first mm-hmm. thing that was put out as you, as a company was a reverb pedal because, you know, um, like I, I just talked to Mike Trombley from uh, native audio and we were just talking about that, you know, his fifth pedal he put out, he finally put out a drive pedal. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he waited till his fifth pedal because he just because he'd heard enough that like okay we need to have an overdrive we'll have one but it's like mm-hmm. I like I like seeing people start because if you started a drive pedal it, as your first like company offerings you have that much to me you have that much further to go before you're pushing the envelope on anything because you've started mm-hmm. at something that has been done. To death, ad nauseum, just uh, just done. Everybody's, I've got, I don't know, a dozen drive pedals, and, and I'm on the low end of people I know. You know what I mean? It's like there's mm-hmm. there's a there's a million drive pedals out there, but you started with a reverb. And 2016, you're talking. There aren't there weren't by then. Yes, the Strymon stuff had started to come out, but you don't have to go that much further before that when your only reverb options were like the boss RV series and the Dan electro spring King. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was what was mm-hmm. out there. Totally. Yeah. You, well, you, yeah, EHX, obviously you got oh, the, yes, Holy the Holy stuff, grail stuff, you know, which is and, great. And, and I think around 2016 was, I, I, I often refer to 2016 as the year, maybe 16 into 17, the year of the reverb delay two and one stuff. We would see stuff from Alexander. We would see stuff from uh, Rick <coughs> Matthews and Matthews effects, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of the, I called it the year of the the reverb delay type of stuff. You know, was that the Canyon uh, as well? Uh, that when Keeley started doing it as well. Yeah. So Keeley, both between Keeley and EHX, usually like the joke is, what did they put out this week? Um, <laughs> yeah. Keeley might have had the yeah yeah the Canyons. Right. Yeah, I think so. Or, or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The caverns. That the caverns. It. I believe is them. The canyon and Grand Canyon is uh, EHX. EHX. That's right. Yeah, but that that was sorry, around that time. And <laughs> <laughs> he's too nice to ever be mad. I know. <laughs> uh, you know, go, going back to what you were saying, Philip, was you know, I think dirt and stuff is a great place to start, and a lot of people that's their bread and butter. And, and you just said it yourself. You got twelve. They're always fun. You know. Mm-hmm. Again, like that was our first pedal. It wasn't a dirt pedal, but still to this day, our dirt pedals are a bestseller with Foxcatcher. Yeah, it just of course. that's just what it is. 
you know, I've made, I've, I've constantly ranted with people and I talk about this a lot with uh, Sean Wright at Lollygagger, you know, we could come out with, we could do something like John Snyder at electronic audio experiments. We could come out with a dirt pedal. That's completely unique, original could satisfy pretty much every person. And at the same time, we could make a Klon Centaur clone and that one would sell better <laughs> yeah. because there's this confidence in a thing that's already been around tried yeah. and true and tested and people love that, you know, and Again, that's why I said, looking back, the fact that we did a reverb with a built-in preamp, a blend knob to do an expression pedal in the trails, the blend, uh, the expression jack also can do like a treadle for the amount of reverb you have, and it's got two independent reverb amounts. Like, I'm just, I'm still happy looking back that that's what we did for our first thing, and right. not, not to take away from anything dirt-related that we've done or other people have done, and... I constantly think about um, Matthew Farrow over at Alexander. He did a interview, and he was saying it's crowded at the bottom. And when he was talking about that, he was talking about overdrive as in the bottom, not not the lowest level, but generally the easiest entry level. Right. And it's crowded for people doing stuff at the bottom with dirt pedal. And then when you get into modulation and time-based and octave stuff and filter effects and this type of almost outboard gear-esque stuff, it starts going up like a pyramid, less and less type of stuff. So it's crowded at the bottom because you're going to fight for how many people have a fuzz face, how many people have a tone bender, any of the marks. And I totally saw that, you know, and we're fortunate enough that, you know, in the main <coughs> lineup of four, we've only got one dirt pedal. And I've kind of, looking back, I, I, I really like the way that we've went with stuff so far. Yeah, and... And it, it's not that we're, you know, making dirt pedals is a bad thing. I want to make sure my listeners understand I'm not downing people. who. Oh, no, we want the next one. Yeah. <laughs> we it, want the next one. Absolutely. You look at, uh, I had Brian Wampler on the podcast, and he has absolutely made his mark making dirt pedals. Like Kind of a, kind of a founding father of dirt. Yeah, exactly. He, he has covered, if there is a dirt base that he hasn't got a pedal for or released at some point, I don't know what it is. Um, at this point, he's just making second versions of stuff he's already made because he's made everything under the sun. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's made a, a a console overdriven console style dirt pedal. I can't mm-hmm. think of that. But other than that, yeah. Generally speaking, like if you're not too far off the beaten path, he's got it exactly. You know, but, both him and uh, I think Nick Greer occupies that space too. Like yeah. his bread and butter is really nice overdrive pedals. Yeah, you know, exactly, that's, that's, and. That's what he does, and he's really good at it. And so you've got all these companies who that is what they do. They're great at it. Um, and so you've got this huge – and then everyone else has at least a three-knob overdrive, as as we, mm-hmm. we joke about. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you start somewhere further up where there's less people doing what you do. You've got a bigger chance of catching, you know, catching on a little bit. I don't want to say – I hate talking market shares, and I hate talking – uh, those kind of marketing and those kinds of things, but it sort of is what it is. It's easier to sell to get people interested in something when there aren't four million of it, and instead there's maybe a dozen people doing it. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob, at least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough, they're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balance tension, coated strings, the works. 
If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy strings today. Totally, yeah. I mean, for in our trajectory for our origin, after this for our for our our two foot switch boxes, we've referred to them as the duet series. Okay. Um, and the next thing in our origin was Foxcatcher, which we wanted to do an overdrive pedal, and it was still 2016, actually. It came out, I want to say Black Friday 2016, and that was a two-in-one. You know, we already had our Gravity Bomb, our little mini buffer boost pedal um, based around the microamp, which is my favorite um, boost pedal probably because I'm a Jack White nerd and he's always got a microamp on his board. Right. And we released Foxcatcher, which today has become our flagship, which I think I don't, we didn't, tr- I don't think we tried to do this, but Foxcatcher itself is essentially in our color. It's that orangey copper color. Yeah. It also has our main company font, um, branding which is coventry gardens um so foxcatcher itself is in the same uh font as our company's font is if you look at the spelled out font and it's become kind of our flagship so it's the color (laughs) and the font and it's become our best seller and we didn't try to do that and it just kind of happened that way yeah um but having again having that's been our best seller as i said we've got chorus we've got trem we've got all this stuff but you know, people like a good two-in-one dirt too, especially because the price point is really good too for that. Yeah, I, I, I think I looked, I looked earlier, and they're like what two hundred bucks U.S. I mean, yeah, all of our duet series right now is priced at <clears throat> one ninety-nine. We did a limited edition for twenty nineteen Black Friday called Captain Hook, um, which was a collaboration kind of between us and this uh, French blues player Zachary Defoe. Okay, and. It, that was an Octafuzz. That w- that went for two twenty nine, but that was like a limited edition thing. We only did seventy of. Yeah, I'm really sad. I missed and that it, one actually because I have. First of all, I have a. Ever since I was little, I have an obsession with the Peter Pan story. So, like, okay. <laughs> that would have been a thing <laughs> I, that I was waiting for you to say I'm obsessed with Octafuzz, but you went to Peter Pan. No, I love. No, <laughs> I I do have a, a mild obsession with with Octafuzz. Um, I'm slow. I was I was a slow adopter of fuzz. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and as a blues player, I, I tell people I'm a blues player and they're like, oh, you didn't get into fuzz? Like, no, because when I say blues player, I mean like B.B. King and Albert King. I don't mean like the Hendrix blues or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's that was my gateway to guitar is B.B. King and Albert King and and Freddie King and the Three Kings. I've made that joke too many times on the podcast to make it again. Mm-hmm. Um but lately, you know, I'm getting into fuzz and octave fuzz is the one that's really starting to get me. And so I'm slowly collecting. So like I, I wasn't my, my awareness of everything going on wasn't high enough in 2019 to have seen it in time. So um, mm-hmm. if anyone out there's got one, hit me up. <laughs> we'll talk. Um, but yeah, so they're really affordable in the duet series. You've got these, you cover a lot of bases. Um, uh I, the price point's good. I love the fact, because I'm also a tremolo. Like, if I can get fuzz and tremolo, I'm pretty much happy. And you've got a standalone harmonic tremolo. Like, everybody else, like, 
with the exception of one that I can think of off the top of my head, everyone else just adds harmonic tremolo to their trim, and then they've got like multifunction trim. It's like, oh, we've got we've got uh, uh, optical trim, we've got bias trim, and we've got harmonic. No, you're like we're doing harmonic trim, and mm. with multiple set multi settings of harmonic trim, which I love. Um, of course, that one is also sold out on your website right now, but by this, hopefully uh, not later. Um, so it, I, I had a point here, but then I just started thinking about how much I wanted that Captain Hook pedal. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so the trim that you're referring to Loma Prieta, that, yeah. that one came out for, um, the 2019, it's January, 2019 for the winter, uh, the winter show in Anaheim, the NAM show. Yes. And we had been working on this for a while. Um, we kind of had two camps of people in the shop one would be traditional trem like myself as a rhythm player yeah and the other would be harmonic for i think the other guys and which i I think harmonic lends itself really great to lead and i like traditional stuff for rhythmic again being johnny marr fan from like the smiths and stuff like that (laughs) yeah um so we kind of had two camps of traditional and harmonic. We were going back and forth, back and forth. <coughs> and eventually we just ended up putting both in there. But we built it around harmonic. Yeah. Um, so Loma Prieta at its core <clears throat> is a harmonic tremolo that has onboard overdrive, like gritty JFET preamp. And it also has four waveforms, which are sine, square, ramp up, ramp down. And then we wanted to really make this pedal interactive and the way we did that with our secondary foot switch on all of our pedals they'll have two foot switches as i mentioned for duet series the main left foot switch is the bypass switch and the right foot switch is usually a secondary or an independent clean boost or whatever it is depending on the pedal for this one we had it actually be four different things so there's a four-way rotary knob that's black and it corresponds with the foot switch washer of the secondary mode, which is black as well. So all of our stuff have silver knobs in a white washer or a black knob in a black washer to correspond um, for the player. And on this mini rotary, there's four positions. There's a tap tempo setting. There's a lo-fi setting. There's a double time and there's distortion. So for the tap tempo, that's exactly what you would think. Yeah. Um, For the... Lo-fi, essentially it removes all of (coughs) the low um, LFO out of this, and it has just this, only the highs and mids are kind of left in it, and it just, it it has this cool lo-fi sound to it, and that's kind of where we left it, and it was, it's one of those things where almost you don't notice it until you let go, and all of a sudden all your low-end content comes back. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Uh, so the third one, I believe, is the double time feature, uh-huh. um, which essentially takes wherever your rate knob is and doubles that. So you can do bursts of sporadic double time feature. So you'll have a BPM and then it'll instantly double, which with a fast BPM, you know, you're not going to be able to do that with like a tremolo right. hand or like some type of kill switch. And the last mode we did was distortion, uh, which actually maxes out the, the the grit knob, which is our JFET preamp that's at the front end of that circuit and that maxes that out. So you can kind of do bursts of peaked gain. Yeah. So it'd be the grittiness. opposite. 
the opposite of how a tremolo will typically cut signal. This one will actually boost up a peak of it. And you can do that. And the right foot switch is all fully momentary. Right. So it makes it an interactive thing. Um, <coughs> uh, really kind of foreshadowed a lot of our interactiveness that we ended up doing on the triple graph. It's it, and it's super cool. And for listeners that are yelling at me right now, there is a switch on the back to switch it to traditional tremolo. It's there, um, but I, mm-hmm. I love the fact that it was built around the concept of harmonic tremolo, which is, you know, it's really caught on in the last few years. Um, it was something that wasn't really done, and now it's really mm-hmm. coming back as people are starting to discover it. Um, I I I was a Univibe fan for a long, long, right. long time, and I discovered that harmonic trem can get me in that Univibe territory and do a little something else too. Um, So I've gotten really, really obsessed with it. I don't have a standalone uh, harmonic trim pedal yet, but I will eventually one day because eventually Pokemon, you got to catch them all. I'm going to have them all at some point, but yeah. Yeah. It's like you mentioned, going back to, you don't see a lot of that out there and going back to a callback to, you know, it's crowded at the bottom. Yeah. Having harmonic tremolo is cool. It, It occupies a unique space, you know, I think even to this day, people, I don't know if it's got its due. I, I was saying maybe a year or two, Chorus was coming back. Yeah. Like Chorus pedals. I think the taste of the 80s got out of our mouth finally. <coughs> and We hope. John Mayer hasn't gotten out of his mouth yet, but. <laughs> no, it's funny, yeah, because he, he just did his resurgence with Saw Brock. With right. the, but I, I don't know if it's like, it's it's not, from what I remember listening, it's not super chorus like laden but it's like it lives in that 80s realm yeah it's got a it's Um, got a couple of tracks that are pretty heavy chorus but it's not like the whole album is is drenched in it or anything but there's definitely some elements of there some maybe a a dimension rack unit was used or something like that totally um but yeah it's it's kind of cool occupying a space that not a lot of people are in especially with onboard um overdrive yeah, you know, we thought that was kind of cool because we kind of saw this as like, and again, this isn't an over the top tremolo like this. It sounds like it could be, but it's not. It's the depth amount on this isn't ever like fully wet. It's designed to kind of be like almost like an amp one. It would stand in for an amp that's got overdrive on it. Yep, and it's got some tremolo on it. It's not supposed to kind of be this crazy over the top unit. Um, it kind of lives in the world of Daedalus where it's kind of supposed to be if your amp didn't have reverb you could do this you don't need this reverb in a hall that's going on for like four hours um <laughs> it's supposed to kind of live as its own standalone plate reverb and we kind of went with that because we kind of try to live in that as i mentioned to you before the show we try to live in this world where we're not making like one knob fuzzes and we're not making like 50 knob rack units and stuff like that we're right. kind of trying to live in like uh very like meat and potatoes if you will um duet series maxes out at six spots for stuff for knobs and like we want to make sure everything has to be on there and it's needed um you know mostly for the gig musician and that's what we try to do so you know give them enough to use not too much not overwhelming (laughs) we try to color code like i said the foot switch washers with the knobs our format is your standard bb size and it's horizontal so the foot switches are far enough apart so you're not stepping on both at the same time um, that type of stuff, you know, just trying to make it for the real world live gigging musician. Uh, yeah, I and this is, you know, all your other pedal makers out there, that format, that size format is my favorite pedal size format. It 
it makes so much sense. I know some people don't like them quite that wide, but I think with the the way pedal boards go today, I think being I would have a whole pedal board of pedals that size if I could because I think they fit on pedal boards well. I think they leave plenty enough room for feet to get in there. I wear uh, I wear 12 size 12 shoes. It's it's, you know, not huge feet, but they're big enough that they're a problem, especially if I'm in boots on stage, uh, which I typically am. Not cowboy boots. I don't. I don't wear those. They don't look good on me. They're. I. I look like a complete poser. But like, I wear like you know hiking boots is is my thing or just big brown boots and mm-hmm. they're. It's hard to press pedals if they're you know in that. Uh, what do I call them? The, the well, the wampler enclosure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that the single size wampler enclosure and they're all next to each other with no with top mounted jacks. They're all too close to each other. Neither here nor there. I will go on a rant one day about the size of pedals, and I think think that one y'all are using is my favorite. Um, another thing, huh, was that? I said I appreciate it. I, yeah. I, I constantly rant because one of the guys in the shop likes that form factor, like your Chase Bliss stuff and your your Walrus, and they've done some great milestones in those enclosures yeah. and in that form factor. I myself that wear a big shoe, I can't really do that form factor. It's one thing if you're just playing it on its own. It's another if you're live with lights going on, you have cues, changeover, um, you know, you're sweating, you're you might be singing as well. Yeah, that's my big vocals. One. And the other thing too, like I think people forget, like when you see an enclosure that's small that they've compacted two foot switches in there, I sometimes wonder if they've forgotten about their neighbors. So you might in that enclosure that's small have the foot switches as far apart from each other as physical limitation will allow. But then if you were to put another pedal next to it, you know, the left foot switch of the right pedal and the right foot switch of the left pedal are now closer than they are yeah. inside the pedal itself. That's and exactly right. That type of thing I always forget, like I, I think about <coughs> and I wonder if they, like I've been calling it forgetting your neighbor. I think <laughs> people that do a form factor really well with two foot switches are uh, Chase, uh, not um, Strymon. For their two bo- two yep. foot switch style small box, and I think Philippe over at Caroline does a really good job on his format and layout. Yeah, um, I've, got, I've got one of his back here. They're 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 still pretty close to the edge, but they're not too bad. Um, mm-hmm. I but they're far enough from each other too. Yeah, exactly. Which is another great thing. And you know, I can go on about form factor <laughs> and stuff. That's kind of one of the places I live in the most when we're designing pedals is more of the hardware side of stuff and exactly where stuff is going to be like how far this is from that how far this is from that and like just the overall image of it whether it comes to the IO and the back the face that type of stuff so when I'm designing the circuit board I've got to obviously coordinate with that and then at the same time the artwork has to get coordinated so that it's all printed together and works cohesively but sometimes i think people can get obsessed with how much they're possibly able to fit in a physical realm into this box and they forget about the functionality of like dude i can barely even get that toggle switch because it's so close yeah you technically got it on the board it technically (laughs) fits and it's printed microscopic but i don't know if that helps me you know i i always think that there's some there's some beauty in like a two knob pedal yeah, you know, and just what you're gonna get out of it, and just there's nothing to high bind, and just kind of play it. Yeah, I I'm looking I'm looking down at the pedal board I put down recent put together recently, and it's like some of them have a ton of controls. Actually, 
so uh, I'm going to come back to a couple of points I was just thinking about that are going to feed into this. First of all, um, I just now, when you said it, caught on to the color coding, the knobs to the foot switch, to the washer on the foot switch. That's really cool. I wish I had realized that. Now I feel dumb, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a tiny thing. It's a small thing that is at attention to detail, and you don't always see that in companies. And sometimes you don't need it, but when you're going to add extra features like that, find a way to make them work. Uh, the mm-hmm. other is the tremolo with the drive reminds me of uh, Origin Effects with their revival trim, where they put together this uh they what they did with bias trim so basically you guys are the only two i can think of that are like a drive and a trim in one that work like that and they did it with bias trim i had one for a while it's a it's a killer tremolo unit um but it's small again small at the top mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people doing it there's a few people that have right. done fuzz and tremolo you know joel did it uh uh, mm-hmm. at least limited was, but, uh, Brian Bicknell <clears throat> at Spruce effects did one called the tremolo. Oh, so it was like a tremolo and dirt pedal, I believe. Cause his, his main gig is germanium fuzz gotcha. stuff. And I believe he did a two in one, but yeah, I think saying us and revival drive in the same sentence might be the only time that'll ever happen. <laughs> I feel like we're not cool enough. <clears throat> Oh, it, you're just different. You're just different. But I, I think, I, but it definitely gives me some of that. Uh, it, it evokes a little bit of that vibe to me. To mm-hmm. you know, it, it's that idea. Spruce effects. I, I, I'm woe. I'm woefully ignorant. I haven't tried any spruce effects. I need to fix that at some point. Hmm. Um, but going back to like a bunch of knobs on things. Well, talk about origin effects. You know, you've seen they. They're getting where they pack a lot of a lot of knobs in a very tiny space and sometimes in a big space. Right. I've got the, the big revival drive, not the one that has the extra trim pots on the bottom, which I didn't even know there was a second version of the big version. Uh, yeah, there's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a little, a little bit confusing. Yeah. But, but totally. it's, it's a great pedal. It's, it's a little complex, you know, of course it's meant to be like an amp. It's like, it, it's an amp on your pedal board, just no power section. Um, mm-hmm. I've got, but when they fit all that on there, they made it in a big enclosure. I've got a pedal uh, by one of my Patreon supporters, uh, Ben, with Electromotive Sound. He's got a phaser that I've got. He's got five knobs and two switches, or two foot switches, and like, I'm counting them now, and I don't have my glasses on, seven individual toggle switches. But it's in a big enclosure, because there's no way... You're going to fit all of that into a tiny space and really be usable. Yeah, and, and if he were to fit it, like, physically, <laughs> and it worked, and geometrically it worked, doesn't necessarily mean you're able to reach stuff yeah. properly, you know, and it doesn't have enough space to breathe and that type of thing. And then a big enclosure comes in, then there's this weird, like, stigma around big stuff, yet how many people still have, like, a big muff? Yeah, on their board yeah. that isn't it's like you can find a way to make it if you like if you like it enough you'll find a way to integrate it in your rig and I, and as a person that on the side does pedal board setups for some local artists and bands and stuff like that working in mini enclosures you know think of for the listeners like a ditto size yeah right or like an ep booster working in those sizes it saves a lot of real estate on its own and people think about board real estate but it actually it, it's actually worse um, for board real estate. So like a ditto size thing with side jacks, even the smallest jacks you can get on the market, 
still takes up more room left and right than, say, something like Brian Wampler's pedal that's top-loaded. Yeah. And now you can get more knobs on Brian's than you can on the ditto size, even if you do the mini knobs. And those little, like, tiny black knobs like you might sometimes see on, like, a a way huge pedal or stuff like that, like, those things can also be tougher to use than a bigger one. You can't get as many knobs on it as you can Brian's in this example. And the other thing is adhering it to a board, whether it's hook and loop style or I'll often do my boards, temple board out of uh, Canada, those aren't as structurally sound on it because it doesn't have as much material to grab onto. The, the plates are smaller. It's going into a smaller fastener. And it's just not as strong as a larger enclosure would be. So it doesn't actually do any of the stuff that like you'd want it to do like, Oh, it saves space. It doesn't save space there. You know, there, if they are cheaper, generally they still have to pack that amount of stuff in there. They've got to yeah. do it SMD. They've got to have a computer, put it in there. Um, and then assembling it is even harder sometimes too. you know, people like TC have it down and it just, it doesn't do what it says. Like it's not going to solve real estate issues no, for and- you. And you mentioned it earlier, if you're singing, and I'm typically singing in bands that I'm in, I have a split second to look down and know where my pedal is that I'm about to change to. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, God forbid, I have to change multiple pedals while also singing. Um, I, I can't have too many pedals right next to each other. It, it, it gives the illusion of convenience. That's, that's the way I feel about it. It's an illusion of convenience. It goes back to my thing I said too, Philip, about forgetting your neighbor type of thing. You know, where if you can get those in there, and again, it's side jacks, which, you know, the world has come around to like, they really like top jacks. (laughs) I like that uh, Grant from Big Ear still does side jacks. He's like, they call him the president of side jacks and stuff. (laughs) Uh, We do have one mini pedal, which is Gravity Bomb, which is just a clean boost and buffer thing. But again, it only has one knob, and the knob itself, I think, is like... 27 millimeters at the skirt <laughs> so it's still like a big knob it yeah. it looks reminiscent of a lot of stuff that zach does over at mythos like yeah. his uh, golden fleece and high road like you know small like or an ep booster small one knob thing and it just it's a utility thing um it doesn't have five mini switches and toggles and knobs on and stuff it's just more of like a workhorse type thing and i don't know i, I i'm very like it sounds very. It sounds like I'm very anti-small pedals. It's just, I think they have their place, and I think, like you mentioned, it's trying to solve something, and it doesn't actually solve it. Yeah, and if and if you're the kind of player that you get to sit and focus, and you're playing, and you're not running around, you're not singing at the same time, they're fine. There, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with. If you're a studio cat, yeah. You know, if you're a studio cat and like you've got them on top of the, like you live on a desktop and your your goal is to essentially make sounds or you're a composer, you're doing any of that type of stuff, and you've got the time to sit down there and really do it. You're not sweating over pedals on stage with like a hot light and everything on you. Those are great and they occupy less space for you in there. Yeah. You know, you're not worrying about that real estate thing. Yeah. Or, if, but if you're like me and even say I'm in a band where I'm not the lead singer and I'm just doing backing vocals and we're in the middle of a section where I'm wandered across stage, jumping around or doing whatever it is we're doing, you know, 
I don't know, ZZ Top-esque dance moves with a guitar, whatever. And I've got suddenly realize, I forget, oh, the bridge is coming up and I've got to run back and change pedals. If I've got to hurry back to my board and swap a pedal or two, if they're that close and that small, it's just not going to work for me. Uh, I already have to... If they're that close and small and you have to put them in the back row. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Back row is a big problem for me. Like I have... I've learned to, I, I've gotten really good at the feng shui of the pedal board, and I know that my taller pedals have to go on the back row. Like, if that means a slightly longer cable run to get it in the signal flow where I want it, that's what it's going to have to be, because I need that taller pedal in the back. Otherwise, I'm trying to, like, get a calf cramp, trying to just barely touch the switch with my toe and not turn knobs, not switch another switch, not, mm-hmm. you know, hey, if it's a less expensive pedal or even some expensive pedals uh trying not to kick a knob and break a potentiometer while i'm at it you know i'm i'm being really really dramatic at this point my wife would tell me uh <laughs> but it's a point it it needs to be mentioned because i i might be actually anti small pedal i i might actually i may be coming to that realization in this therapy session <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i had that in my notes from last time we spoke um <laughs> What I was going to say, too, like, uh, it sounds like a YouTube channel. You could have pedal board feng shui, <laughs> you know, where you just go in and they're like, Philip, I need you to feng shui my board. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't subscribe to feng shui as this idea yeah. of of stuff. But I think it's a colloquial term that people would gravitate towards. I think so, too. You could just adopt it for a nerdy thing. Pedal board feng shui, <laughs> where it's like. We come to you and we feng shui your board, which essentially you're just using that word to say we're going to make it more practical and works for you. Yeah, no, not no be like any rock gardens on your pedal board. Or <laughs> what you do is you'll have the Altoid case and inside of it has that rock garden inside with a little brush, really small uh, rake that you can do I, uh, your garden. Oh, gosh, the Altoid tin thing. I, I posted this on, on Instagram a little while back. So I have the Altoids tin. I've never, ever put it on my pedal board, but I happen to have one because I like mm-hmm. Altoids, and it just works for all my picks. So I had a bunch of extra rubber feet. I don't know if you can actually see this, but I yep. I um, I um put rubber feet on my Altoids tin and made the joke that I prefer my Altoids tin off-board. <laughs> like, a, like a wah pedal. Exactly. Dude, <laughs> dude, another quick rant, too, because I do a lot of board setups for local people is... The two worst pedals to work on are an original Crybaby style and a Proco Rat. So the oh. Crybaby, the problem with it on the board is, so if you want to work it on a Velcro board or a Temple board, you know, two of pretty much the main things there. Right. Um, there's also Holy Board and others as well, which I recognize. But those are the two that we generally work on, like a Creation board <coughs> or a Temple board. Working with a Wah okay, I want to get on this flat surface because it comes with these rubber feet, which generally for everything is useless, Yep. especially in the world of pedal boards. So I'll take the rubber feet off and then the back plate is coming off as well naturally with it. Yep. So, okay, I got to put the back plate back on, which is the thinnest piece of, essentially it's Reynolds wrap aluminum foil. It's terrible. And put that back on. Okay, I don't need these rubber feet. Let me put these rubber feet to the side. Okay, let me grab the screws because they're going to be the exact thread for it. I'm going to put the screws back in to hold the plate. Start screwing it on. Start screwing it. The screws are, are long enough to incorporate the rubber feet, but they're not short enough that you can put them back on without the rubber feet. Exactly. So I'll have to take those if I don't have the right type of like 
screw and I'll have to take those and I'll have to cut them or dremel them shorter and then put it on the back plate. So I'll have to do that with all four. And then if we're doing a Velcro style, you usually do a strip of Velcro and you adhere it to the board. If you're going to remove that board, you better make sure you have like um, some type of like a, a spoon to take off um, tires on like a bicycle. Yeah. Or um, Retchell always talks about like the silicone like um, screwdriver type stuff for working on interiors of cars. I'll sometimes use like a really weak blade. You're going to want to scrape the hook and loop from each other because if you pull, it's just going to bend the crybaby. It's just going to bend that plate exactly. Now if I'm doing a temple board setup, which I often am. To keep that square, you need to do a large plate up at the top where the toe section is Mm -hmm. and a smaller plate down at the bottom where the heel section is. So I've got to line up two temple plates perfectly to make this thing square. And again, this isn't like a trapezoid-shaped thing. And it's just, I've, um, I've pretty much got it down. And every time I see a board set up, it comes in, I'm just like... Oh, man, I feel a little defeated. Like, ah, oh, a wah. And the thing that really, I always joke with the guys in the shop, the thing that is the worst for me between those two, the rat and the wah, that really stings me is I don't like either of those pedals. So it's <laughs> not even like I'm fighting for a pedal I like. Like the rat pedal, you can't put it on a board because the back plate of it um, is like a protruding knurled screw. Yep. So you can get to the battery, which nobody on a pedal board really uses. And it's not even germanium or fuzz or anything like that. You have to. You take that off. You take the feet off, and again, I think on that one, the f- the screws can't go back in without you cutting them, and then you can't put the door back on because that knurled screw for your your hand won't allow you to let it sit flush on the pedal board. Nope. So you have to have an open back plate. Essentially, it looks like a kid with um, pajamas with the butt flap, and the butt flaps open. That's what it looks like on a rat pedal. And the wires are there, so I'll usually heat shrink some of the battery things so the battery don't touch anything. Yeah. The battery terminals don't touch anything. And then on a temple board setup, you can't fit a medium or a large plate on there. You have to put two small ones and avoid the battery butt flap. And I'm telling you, just so many times I've seen those pedals, and it it feels worse because I'm like, ah, man, I'm not even excited about the pedal itself. But (laughs) it's a nice challenge to try to... Get those ones on there. Well, I'm going to at least help you with one of those here today. Um, I Rat pedals, mm. I keep wanting to like them. I really do. It's like... Same. I, I want to like them, but they don't work I, for me. They, they, I think they, people make them sound good, and I don't. Yes, exactly. I don't I, make them sound good. Other people... Like Dave Grohl can play a rat, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> do it. I'm that way and with I PRS guitars. But yeah, that's another whole other ballgame. Mm-hmm. Wah pedals, I, I do have a solution for the wah pedal. So I, you, you get, it's behind me here on my small board. I've got an all digital. This is like my, if I need like every Swiss Army knife thing, every possible sound, it's an HX effects with a Volante and a Night Sky on the board. Mm-hmm. And I have an expression pedal for the HX effects. There's a company called Stomping Grounds that makes a plate that fits perfectly on the back of a wah pedal. And they've got like 12 different versions to fit 12 different pedals. Um, and what you do is you take those feet off. Then you put this, you put the metal plate back on for shielding purposes. You put the, the their plate, which is, I don't know, maybe a quarter, maybe a little bigger than a quarter inch. Um, and it's got um, 
countersunk holes for you to put the screws in. So you end up with a purely flat surface on the back of the wah pedal. And so it mounts perfect. Now you're spending another 17 bucks to, to get this mm-hmm. on top of whatever your pedal is. But I have found that it solves that wah pedal mounting problem. That's awesome. I, I, going back to GC in 2014, I was working with a guitar tech and he mentioned that same thing. Like he likes wah pedals. He's and he was like, dude, I'm about to cut something on a diamond plate. Yeah. Something that's like thicker, stronger, <clears throat> and the gauge would be there and you could replace that flimsy back plate and it would be strong and you could mount it with hook and loop. And it's so nice that you said that. I, can you, I'm yeah. going to have to look that up or if you want to send I'll, me that I'll link. I'll send you so. that link uh, when we get done here for sure. Um, but they've got, they've got different models for, you know, like your genuine, your regular RMC, Dunlop, Vox, Thomas Oregon, you know, those was. Mm-hmm. Then they've got versions for like vintage Italian was, a couple of the RMCs that have different things. They've got one for the the 535 Dunlop with the Q control on the bottom. Uh, mm-hmm. Then like you just go down. They've got like, they've got a plate for basically every wah pedal that exists that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, I... I was looking to see if they do something similar for a rat pedal. Uh, I might have to email them and tell them you need to do this for rat pedals. You could solve some Please people's do. problems. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's really cool. Yeah. It's super, it's such a simple concept. And I think it's, I think it's just MDF. I don't think it's anything like fancy. You know, though, like, again, we were going back to the small pedals, there's uh, sometimes we get into like the solutionism solving a problem that actually isn't there. Yeah. This one feels like it's solving a problem that is there. Yeah. And I, I hear this complaint all the time and this company's not a new one. I've been using their plates for years now. So it's just not everyone knows that they exist yet. So, uh, they do. Apparently I, <laughs> be honest. I've never looked at their site for anything else. It's the only thing I've ever bought from them. So I don't even know what else they offer. <laughs> This, I mean, if not knowing any better, I'd say that it looks like this is the thing they do. Yeah. Like this is what, uh, and and maybe they have other stuff. I'll have to take a look. Yeah. It looks like this would be what they do. Like, it's funny because Waz are popular, but you don't see, you don't see like a, a different take on it unless it's like the bloomery from Tapestry. Uh, right. I think, I think the bottom plate is better on the exotic Waz. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not really a Waz person. So that's the other thing. Like I'm not in this world too much there's probably people that are really into it and they're already hip to this <clears throat> maybe uh they make one for the exotic by the way just mentioning that uh that's awesome yeah i um i love wah pedal that's like a big deal to me again i think it just goes back to the blues and the funk and the stuff that i've i grew up playing um right but i don't always need it it doesn't work on every gig i play so um when I when I started reducing the size of my pedal boards, I took the wah pedal off my board and I just use it off board. It needs to be first anyway, most of the time, unless I'm using mm-hmm. a fuzz face, which I also all of my fuzzes, well, my tone benders know my because I don't I don't have any that are like I'd call truly vintage tone bender style, so they don't have to be the very first thing. Um, but like my fuzz faces, they need to be first, so they're off board too. So it's like I don't even bother save that space. <laughs> I don't use it on every gig. So I don't need it. Uh, mm-hmm. I try yeah, to. I, I recently, you, you sang that sparked. I recently, we were, um, we're hanging out in Jack's office and we were talking about, uh, I call it the fight for the front 
where it's like, oh, this is fuzz, so it's got to be front. <laughs> this is wah, so it kind of has to be in the front. Well, I'm using a lot of dirt, and I want to do octave, and octave wants to see the cleaner signal. This has got to yep. be in the front. This is a filter pedal. It wants to see kind of like this impedance. It's got to be in the front. <laughs> so there's this fight for the front, I call it, where I'm not sure if there's an actual... Again, the rule is whatever works for you is what works. Right. But there's always that fight. It's like, I'm germanium. I got to go first. Uh, hold on there, germanium. I'm wah pedal. I got to go first. <laughs> it's it sounds tr- like a shirt. It sounds like a shirt or like a poster Philippe Herndon would make. <laughs> yes. Um, I, uh, I, I've recently run into that because I really want... I've been really thinking about putting like a filter pedal. I've got the Pictronics uh, filter pedal. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, it's good. It's it's complicated. I think it's one of the more complex pedals I've ever played. Um, and so, and I've I've played some pretty complex stuff at this point. So, uh, it, again, tiny form factor, lots and lots of switches and knobs, lots and lots of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm like. Where do I put this? Like <laughs> half my pedal board says they need to be first. <laughs> I'll tell you, the fight for the front, it almost also sounds like a political cartoon or something like that, where you just got you got these pedals like anthropomorphized and they're in a line. They're waiting. And it's like and it says like front for stage, like it's the fight for the front. I need to get a political cartoonist to make that and we'll make a t shirt out of it. Uh, I think there's something there. I, I think, think so. I think too. the pedal world would like the fight for the front. <laughs> oh, actually, I know a guy. I'll I'll call him up and see what he's not a guitar player. I'll have to explain it all to him. But <laughs> so you you mentioned Jack. So we've got to get to because people will be mad if I don't. Let's get to the triple graph. Let's let's start though at the stutter, uh, which I I I never bought one and I had had one in a cart a bunch of times. And I never, never got it, and I still may hunt one down. But so let's mm-hmm. talk about that because this is kind of like so you've started the company, you've done the the custom stuff, you've done the um, you've done your delay, and you've started to put stuff out, and you put out the stutter. And I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm seeing this way from the outside. It feels like this was the pedal that really started to like push you guys to the front. Yeah, no, I think that's an accurate assessment. This was, this is the thing that kind of, that old saying, it put us on the map. Yeah. I think the Telegraph stutter definitely did that for us. It opened up a lot of doors. It kind of became a, I've referred to it often as a business card. You know, it's not something that's expensive. It's not something that makes us a ton of money, but it gets us in people's ears. It gets us in their mouths talking about it and it's accessible and it's unique, and people haven't seen it before. And again, it's an interactive thing. So we've been really harping on that idea of interactive, and that ended up going down with like the triple graph. But when we came out with the Telegraph Stutter, it was the Summer NAM Show 2016. It was June, and it was the very first show for us as a company. We had a six by eight booth. We're in Nashville, Tennessee, for the very first time everywhere. Loaded up two cars, <laughs> drove it down. We had the small booth. We had Daedalus out. And I believe Gravity Bomb had been out, and we actually had a prototype for Foxcatcher, which ended up getting scrapped and turned into what it is now. Um, But we essentially only had that. We had the strategy out. We had some custom shop stuff we were showing. But essentially, we had an army of Telegraph pedals. And there's some pictures somewhere that we'll have to find because it's weird how it almost like 
forecasted it. We put three telegraphs next to each other, all set up in reverse mode, where it would actually, if you pressed it, it would play a note. And we recorded three different notes, and people could play them together, like with their hand, like a piano almost, and make these different sounds coming out as you hit it, different tones would come out. Just for something for like interactive, it would get people's attention. They would yeah. hit it because there's this thing at Nam. No matter how many or how little telegraphs we have, people will see it. They'll be walking by. They'll catch out of the corner of their eye. They'll stop. They'll turn around. They'll look over. They'll reach their hand out like it's they're afraid a crocodile is going to bite them, and they'll touch the keys a couple times, and then they'll walk away. <laughs> they just have, they have to they have to inter- interact with it. They have to engage. They have to touch it. And we at one point we were just almost playing bingo. Like how many people can we get to s- stop, look, touch, tell a friend, touch it, like look at it. They, it was really great. It was nice. It, it, the response is really nice. People were interacting with it. Um, a ton of people bought some. Then um, that even got us on. I think the cover of premier guitar for one of their issues right after I, I was at my day job and i got an email urgent telegraph on cover of premier guitar i'm like i'm at like this desk job right now filing harmonized tariff schedules and i'm like oh crap i gotta get on this email right now and um anyway at that show too so the summer 2016 show before we went down there the origin of the triple graph and this is actually illustrated in the 130-page book that comes with every triple graph that is purchased. We, on the way down to Nashville, before we left, Jordan had said to me, he was like, hey, do you want to drop off a telegraph at Third Man Records? They're in Nashville, right near the convention. And I said, sure, but let's make it yellow. So we make it yellow, which is one of the colors of Third Man Records. We went up to the shops, and we said, hey, we're in town for the convention. We're big fans of Jack. We have a gift we thought he'd like. They took it. They said, we'll leave it by his door. And in the morning, it's usually just gone. It's not there anymore. And he'll, <laughs> he'll usually take it. And we're like, that's cool and mysterious. That's fun. <laughs> so we send it to, we, we, we dropped it off with them. We went back up to the convention. If you've ever been in Nashville, Third Man in Third Man Records in the convention in Nashville are essentially a street apart. Yeah. So we're setting up our booth really young. We've got the telegraph stutters. We've got a few of our products. We've got an army of them. We're on the floor one day and we miss a voicemail call or like we miss a call on the company line because I left a business card in the telegraph and it was Ben Swank who is now one of the co-owners of Third Man as of I believe April 2019 and he called us and we actually have this voice recording Um, and he said, Hey, we got the pedal that you dropped off with Jack here and we really like it. And we had an idea for something. We're going to try to come down to the show and talk about it. So we're on the floor and there's like no bandwidth. There's like no Wi-Fi. There's no service. I'm like running outside to try to call Ben back and get on the phone with him. And I I don't know if I I fully remember if I got, I'm pretty sure I got back on the phone with him talking about it. And they're like, yeah, we're going to come down and uh, come into the show and we'll talk to you. So we're doing our thing at the show and at one point Ben comes down and he has this drawing, like this mock-up in like a Photoshop thing and they were like, hey, Jack had this idea for this pedal. And again, this is in the book if uh, you purchase a telegraph, uh, a triple graph. So he has like, hey, Jack's got this idea and he opened up this just printer paper and Jack had taken 
three of our a picture of the telegraph he, and he turned it into three of them in a row but he made it into a large enclosure which essentially would turn into the size enclosure we did for the triple graph and it was like jack's got this idea for a pedal where he wants to do an octave pedal where he can independently have up and down and still do your kill switch idea that you gave us would you guys want to do something like this and essentially the answer i was like thinking about it i was like racking my head and like we've got like one pedal out <laughs> like <we're, laughs> how are we gonna do this like like my favorite artist ever wants an octave pedal which he's pretty much the modern king of octave and i was like i said something like it's gonna be a lot of work but we want to do it and that was essentially the start of it that was our first nashville uh summer nam trip ever and to this point when people ask me is the nam show worth it I always feel like I have an asterisk on my answer <laughs> because we're, we've been so lucky and fortunate that, that we hooked up with them on the very first show. All I will say is that at the Airbnb that night, we didn't go anywhere. We were just researching stuff and trying to get a game plan. <laughs> it's like, how can we actually make this happen? It's like, cause, yeah, cause gonna, now you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. We said, yeah. And how are we going to pull this off? And it, it was one of those things of like, like, there's an art to saying no for stuff, which I'm a fan of. It's like if I've not got the time for something and I know that, I think it's irresponsible to say yes to it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah we can do that. We can do that. And I never get around to it. Like, I feel like that's irresponsible and I, I try not to live in that world. But with this one, it was like, this is just too cool. Like, let's let's do it. Like, let's see what we can. This is really going to push us as, yeah, you know, designers and creators and artists. And on the way back home, obviously, we're driving home. It's 18 hours for where we live to Nashville and got a long time to talk about it, think about it and everything. And it wasn't until Summer Nam 2017 that we actually had a prototype designed. I don't know if you want me to go in how much detail type of stuff, no, you want, yeah. but essentially this 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 project kind of lives summer to summer for the, a lot of it because it, whenever we're in Nashville, it's like we got to go to Third Man and kind of hook up with them i say that like it's a chore that, that's not, <laughs> that's that's not how it sounds it's it's incredibly like surreal that you know the everyday person can go in there see this awesome storefront and talk with the lovely people up there and when we go there they'll open up the bay door for us they'll walk us in the back where the codes are and like stuff to get in there and so we had set up a thing where we're doing summer name again it's 2017. We had Foxcatcher out at the time. I think we had a prototype of Polaris, um, which is our fully analog chorus and vibrato pedal. Um, so it's summer 2017, and we have a prototype, which is literally kind of Jack's Photoshop drawing come to fruition. It's got three of the telegraph keys, which are just like your run of the mill. You buy them online, and we modify them. Right. And what we did was we originally started working with the spin semiconductor uh, FV1 board. We started with that and we essentially got the code the best we could because the spin has, it's one of those things like you can get going really fast, but it has some shortcomings for like really being able to write stuff in there. So we had that for Jack and we had a meeting scheduled. So we went to third man. We had a ton of questions lined up. We were taking notes and we showed him the pedal. I even put a mini fuzz pedal with it to like have dirt with it. 
So we're sitting down in Jack's office. We had Ben Swank there. We had Ben Blackwell, which is his cousin and now one of the owners of Third Man as well. Um, We had a couple other people there as well that we were talking about, and we showed him the prototype. We were talking about it. He was trying it out in front of us, and just all of us remember, like, Jack's like 6'4". Like, (laughs) he's, he's a big dude. And he's not easy on his gear. And these telegraph keys were just like, we're like feeling it in our gut of like, oh, how much, like how big a guy he is stepping on these. And it's like, oh man, this is not what it's for. Instantly at that moment, it was like, oh boy. So he's trying it out, trying the features. At this point, all it is is octave down, octave up, and a kill switch. There is no latching mode versus momentary mode. There's no effects loop, which eventually was developed with Jack for the final and he's trying it out. And now with spin, the shortcomings using the FB one ship with octave is there's a lot of, when I say a lot, I mean, digital, a lot, like a lot of um, latency in the low end, which again, that's like even less than slapback amount, but for digital, that's a lot, especially for code reading all those lines and everything. There's, so there's latency in the, the low end of Octave for the spin chip. And in the high end, there's a modulation to it, you know, which can be <clears throat> pleasing in a delay, can be pleasing in a reverb, that type of stuff. Like you're, uh, when people think that, they think shimmer, right? Right. So like, there's this modulation to it. So Jack's playing through it, and his two critiques sonically were those exact things. He yeah. was like, oh, there's too much lo- latency and there's too much modulation here. And we're like, go figure, like the king of Octave found the two shortcomings. He found our weak wall. <laughs> right. He found the weak wall. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, okay, well, we co- took those notes. We're talking about strength and integrity. And down the line, we'll, we'll get to that as well. But essentially, we were still there for the show. So it's like, oh, we've got all, we've got like three pages of notes of stuff to work on. We talked about the name. We talked about coloring, branding. And... To put this in perspective, too, if anybody knows about Third Man Records and their, um, I don't know, know if subsidiary is the correct word, but their other group, Third Man Hardware, how they have Third Man Books, Third Man Photos, Third Man Mastering Records. They have Third Man Hardware, which is where like their pedals, accessories, and all that type of stuff live for yeah. our world. Third Man Hardware had the Bumble Buzz that came out around the time of Lazaretto, which is 2014. And that's the only pedal they had. So we were the second person, or we were the second entity for them to kind of collaborate and hook up with because Third Man Hardware didn't even exist. It wasn't even called that at the time. Oh, wow. So in 2016, when we hooked up with them, they had one pedal out with um, Union Tube and Transistor, the Bumble Buzz. Right. It's the sound that you're going to hear on a, lot of, um, on a lot of Jack's stuff on his solo things. And they didn't have anything else at the time. It wasn't called Third Man Hardware. And when we were originally doing this, we were the second people for them to ask. This project took four years since we met up with them that by the time it was released, two other pedals came out before us. <laughs> and a branding was established with Third Man Hardware. Like they had their own like social media stuff and they had their own section on the website. This pedal took so long, two people lapped us, it feels like, because yeah. how long this was in development and production and all that stuff. But uh, getting back to 2017, you know, we finished the NAMM show. We had a really great time. And we essentially had our notes from Jack. 
right? It's time to drive 18 hours back up to Massachusetts and talk about what the heck we're going to do with all these shortcomings and stuff. So at that point, originally we did, we, we had to essentially abandon the, the FB one. It was, it was, it wasn't doing what we needed to. Essentially we needed to have pro tools and this was more of like a garage band, if you will. You know, it's really great at getting you where you want. A lot of companies have made a lot of great, inspiring things with it. But for what we needed to do, we didn't have the right paint on the brush. Gotcha. So um, one of the guys who works here, Tris, he is, he's a Berkeley grad. He worked at GC with us, and he's from the Bay Area over in San Francisco. So his best friend from that area works at Western Digital. So we flew him out. We asked him about working on this project with us, writing the code. He writes code and does stuff for hard drives and stuff that I can't even fathom. Right. You know? And so we got him out and we flew Richard out here. We literally, he went out and bought a computer for this project. We now call it the Richard computer as an <laughs> homage to him. Um, so we had Richard fly out here. You know, we got him lunch every day. He was just staying out here for a few days. He set up the computer. He set up a remote thing so that when he went back, to the Silicon Valley area, he could work on it remotely and we could do stuff with that. I don't think I've actually ever told this part of the story in the podcast, so this is kind oh, of fun nice. too. But yes, yeah, so we flew Richard out here. He's setting up the computer. We're still really young, working on other stuff. That's the other thing. Like this four-year time frame when freshmen are graduating high school, we're still working on this thing, but we have to put other things out as well. So yeah. we kind of lived in a CSP and TMR world. Um but yes, yeah, so we had Richard come out here and we started, he essentially went through what he would need to do, if I recall. I wish I took more notes of when he was here. We do have a ton of notes of stuff of like, okay, this type of processor, this type of processor power and speed, this type of bit, all the stuff that I might sound a little bit smart on, but I'm just regurgitating when I've heard a smarter guy say. <laughs> so he set up the computer. We're ordering development boards and stuff like that. He's like, okay, so here's what we're probably going to need. Here's a cost analysis breakdown of stuff versus here's how much, you know, power it's got. And we're working on that. And we set up the computer and we're setting up the development board. And Richard flies back home and he's working on it remotely. And it, it I think we're working on it for at least a year or so because we also have to do CSP stuff. You know, we got to release other pedals. We're finishing Polaris at this point. We're working on, as you mentioned, Loma Prieta. And we've got a we've got a ton of other stuff. Plus, we've made two thousand telegraph stutters to this point. Wow! And we so we're still going to be doing those. So it almost turned into a, like a, hey, this week has to be a triple week. We got to work on the triple graph this week. You know, we hit a wall before, or we're just so busy we can't work on it. You know, and it's it's funny we're like getting to the point where we're like worrying like, man, are they going to like drop it because we haven't we haven't talked to them in like a couple months? Are they going to like drop us on this project? Uh, unknown to us, years later we were meeting with um one of the main our main colleagues over third man and she said something along the lines of like jack was wondering like and worried that we were going to drop them because we haven't heard we haven't heard back <laughs> and we're like it's just funny we were living in the same world of like oh man are they going to be like upset that we haven't got this but i think they are also business people they know like you have to do multiple things so yeah. going back to developing this you know we the spin board was out and there's a lot of story about essentially getting the board to where it is the funnest parts of the story i'll go to which are you know 
we started breadboarding this. You can't really breadboard digital. We learned that the hard way. We still have the breadboard. And we, it got to the point where we were actually able to get code onto a development board. And for anybody listening, a development board, think of it like if you were to take apart a Game Boy that size, like a, a pocket um, video game, and you see like a circuit board with all these parts and components on it, essentially that's there so you can develop a sound without needing to get your own PC boards made and all that stuff. So we have this development board and, you know, I'm in my car getting emails from Richard like, hey, here's this writing. Jordan would play him a raw guitar track, send it over to Richard. Richard would put it through and play it back like, hey, here's six different demos with the octave code. What do you think about this verse, this verse, this verse, that? And I would be in my car. It was one of those things where like if I'm out, I stop, I put the car in park, and I have to do what I need to do to get it done because it's such a daunting project. Right. And flash forward a little bit, we finally get to where we need. We still have some problems with like latency and stuff like that. And Richard had written this, all of this code stuff in 16-bit format. And we were coming back to him with all these issues that we were having. You know, we would be on the phone with him. We would be doing like a Skype call. He would be on the phone. He'd be like, okay, go to the computer, go to here, make this change to that, upload it in real time, flash the code, then play it out of the amp. Tell me what the differences are that you like, you don't like the shortcomings. We keep our notes. We kept all that type of stuff. Um, and we would keep these notes. And at one point, I can't remember if it was myself or Richard or whatever. Let's say it's Richard. It's probably more likely that that's what it was. He ended up writing it in 32-bit instead of 16. So he was like, okay, i got to redo all of the math for this stuff. I'm going to write in 32-bit. I think he did it that next day or so. He's just a mad. He's just a madman. This might have been in December. He, yeah, he takes all of his time off at the very end of the year. He takes like two weeks. He saves up all his vacation, and he was doing it that at that point. He's the type of person. He's an underpromised, overdelivered type of person. Yeah, we'll be like, hey, Richard, can you do this? Uh, I might be able to do it. I'll have to look at it, and then in an hour, hey, it's done. He's that type of person. So it's really great. So at at any rate, he writes it in 32-bit. We we flash it. We plug it into the amp, and we're like, holy crap. It felt like a blanket was lifted off. And we we were like, holy crap, this is it. we got to talk to Third Man. Like, we've got it. So the best part, and I've got some pictures. It's in the book. It's really disgusting but awesome. We took that development board. We put it into an enclosure so that Jack could actually try it, you know, and we would have to hodgepodge these keys. So at one point, I've got the uh, enclosure in front of me. I've got a development board inside of it. The development board has not guitar jacks like we're used to. It has headphone jacks, right, your 3.5 millimeter. So I've got a, at one point, I think Jordan went to CVS and bought a headphone splitter so that we could (laughs) cut it open and use the three signals like a TRS. So I'd have to take that guitar quarter inch in and convert it to a a 3.5 headphone jack, and then it would have to split off into this other board I would make that would, like, take all the signals and sum it together. And then from there, go to the toggle switches because we were incorporating a latching verse, like an always-on versus a momentary thing. Right. And then it would come back together... And then it would go out to the main output so Jack could still treat it like a guitar pedal and plug quarter inches in. 
at one point there's like four there's two development boards in there there's like <laughs> a, a a buffer splitter board mixing something there's also a five volt regulator network at one point when jack was on tour he actually had to have two power supplies to try this out one was an analog supply one was a digital supply so when i'm zip tying them in there i'm cutting wires like i'm diffusing a bomb like <laughs> so we had these there so we had the we had the the prototype and Jack was taking it into the studio. At this point, he's getting ready to get the raconteurs back together from their hiatus. So he's in the studio with all them, and they're recording what would come out to be Help a Stranger. And he's got that, and he has one of them in there. We actually have it here as well. Um, and that's the Help a Stranger one that he was using. It's all, like, bent up and just, like, to shit because just completely of him, like, mangled. He, Exactly. So that was really like, like, oh crap, we got to do something about the hardware. So we're finishing the inside. This project is really broken into two things. It's internal and external. So it's like we would be working on the software side versus working on the hardware side and like hardware, literally like the hardware that we would have to have made. So at one point we've got all these and um, essentially we have to, we've got the digital side done, you know, other things would come in afterwards, like Jack was talking about making the middle key have a functionality where you could send it to an effects loop, right? Right. So if you look at the triple graph on the back, you get in, out, and then you have a send and return. The send and returns function is to have the middle key when it's in send and return mode, it'll send it to an auxiliary pedal. So you can have it go in parallel with the octaves. That was Jack's idea kind of from the beginning. He originally wanted to do it with like clips, like if you were a switchboard operator like when you call the lady back in the day the operator oh, i'm yeah. like that's cool and you could plug it onto the actual terminals i'm like people are just going to lose it I, I i've got to find a way to do this so we just kept it with guitar signals yeah. uh, guitar jacks so we're, we i made that originally for him and that was another thing that i had to put in there and i made it all analog so we could switch it over but there was some bleeding issues and stuff like that but it worked for the tour and at that point he's on tour getting ready for tour we get some video video calls, conference stuff. We were talking to his guitar tech who actually grew up uh, two towns over from me, weirdly <laughs> enough. Yeah. I played in a band with my friend. And we're, get, we're going back and forth with him, and we're like, just the integrity and the strength of the keys is not there. And we had to essentially take that design, change it into our own a little bit, and strengthen it up. So what would end up being the hardware for the telegraph uh, for the triple graph now came from the telegraph. Like it was a soft metal and plastic. And we changed that for a black anodized aluminum and stainless steel. Yeah. So while Jack was actually on tour from, I want to say September through December of 2019 for support for the record, they would be sending us, they would be calling us up. We would be doing like FaceTime stuff with his guitar tech who now works at third man and he'd be like, these are just bending. They're moving. Jack would send us videos of the issues that he was having. And at one point we were augmenting the hardware. We're like, okay, well, what if I put this, like, what if I put this rubber piece under the foot switch that way, when he steps down on it, he can't bend it anymore. Cause he'll max out. Like, like when a door hits like a rubber stop and that would work a little bit, it would still bend the rubber, Mm -hmm. And then he would skew it left and right. <laughs> so so we were just racking our brains of what to do. And at one point I thought of 
like a socket wrench where you'd be able to actually have a foot switch go inside of there and essentially creating a ferrule. And if you want to think of a ferrule, think of it like how a telecaster is strung through the back. It goes through the ferrules. So we created this proprietary hardware with our own base shape. We created a way to hold down the base that was also interactive and looked aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing. And we also created a really strong arm and a button on it. And the button would also attach to the ferrule, which would actually press down to an actual foot switch. And that foot switch would be dependable because it's like an industry standard. And the ferrule would make it so it wouldn't move left and right. And you could activate it with the foot switch. And the foot switch itself was spring-loaded, so it would bring the telegraph back up, whereas the original telegraph stutter had a small little spring, which could easily be lost. At one point, um, they lost a spring, and Jack's Guitar Tech went to... Um, I think the box office of the show and asked for a pen. So he grabbed a pen and he took the spring out of the pen. And he <laughs> used straight the spring up for it. it. Exactly. Um, I, at one point as a joke, I sent him a pen with a note that says in case of emergency break pen. <laughs> so there's that issue and we're working on the hardware. So we had got the hardware developed in its prototype stages and we would, have Jack send back the pedal during tour and we would change the hardware and we would send it back to the venue addressed to Jack. And we were doing that during the tour. And at one point we pretty much had the final hardware. I believe this is where it is in the story. This is four years. You'll have to forgive me if I'm messing up here. But um, at one point they sent us back. He had two of them on tour. He had his main one and he had a backup just in case. And all the while, he's actually trying to keep this hush-hush. He's trying to keep all the pictures off the internet and stuff like that. He doesn't want it to leak what he's got on his board. And he sent us back the pedal. He's like, and they go, hey, can you update it to the new hardware so we can try it out? Jack really needs this pedal. He's doing a three-day stint at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. So we essentially, that day, we had to get it in, do it overnight, and overnight it back to Nashville for him for the show. Um. So that was a fun, fun night. Yeah, no it kidding. always happens on Monday. I have a, another job that I do one day a week. Jordan will call me on Monday. Hey, they need this thing done tonight. Well, of course. <laughs> Let's just pile it on. But you know what? That, that perseverance built a lot of character. We got it back to the Ryman. They had the three days. I think they recorded it and everything. And that was just essentially the origin of the hardware, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better beta tester than Jack himself yeah. to take this. He took, he took one of these all the way around the world. I think he went to Australia, New Zealand, or, and then Japan. He did some UK stuff. He went all over the U.S. with it for their tour, extensively touring with it, um, giving any feedback for switching, stuff like that. It was on his tour that they were talking. We originally had it so Jack could either press the key interactively and the effect would happen. At one point, we were like, okay, well, if you're going to have this octave on for the whole song, why don't we just make a little toggle switch so it just locks it on and the key is useless, but at least it latches on there for you. And that kind of spawned the idea of, okay, well, what if we had it so that that toggle switch made it so the key was momentary or latching? And that type of stuff, that wasn't a Richard thing. We brought in this gentleman named Dan Ledger. He worked at Analog Devices. 
Um, and the analog devices is a company that makes stuff for like our world. They make stuff for like hospital equipment. They're oh, wow. out of uh, the Boston area. The guy that worked there, actually, um, that's where uh, I believe his name is Paul from Strymon is from. So analog devices, we found, we hooked up with this uh, person from analog devices named Dan. He worked there for like 15 years doing development boards and stuff like that. And we had him come down here because he lives in the Boston area. And essentially we hooked up with him to work on this project. He said yes before he even knew what it was, which was really cool. <laughs> and I will say during this project, when we had custom stuff made like the badge plates for the limited edition and stuff like that, when people see Jack's name on it, their their ears kind of perk up a little bit and they're yeah, you know, they're more excited about it. But the fact that he said yes before knowing what it was was really cool. And he's really excited about it in general. So we brought him on for this the switching and the coding and he worked with Richard they nerded out while we were just there, like, I could barely tie my shoes. Right. I, I don't want to be part stuff. of that conversation. Yeah. Dan would send us emails like, hey, on line 143 on the third comma, what I want you to do is change the one to a zero here and then reflash and let me know type of stuff. Like, holy crap, dude. But just <laughs> the best people to work with. So going back to the hardware, like, it's funny. We have the telegraph in its form factor, the one that you were talking about. Yeah. And we were like, okay. That's cool. We got the outside done. Let's do the inside. Go figure the outside actually had to get completely revamped because it would not stand up to people. And that would be one of the criticisms we would not want to have with the triple graph of like, oh, I'd break that thing. Yeah, exactly. Now that we have it proprietary made, the pedal itself weighs three pounds. Yeah, I was just looking. I I pulled up photos just so I could kind of follow along as you were describing it. And I put photos of the uh stutter and the triple graph next to each other and you can it's such a like if you're just glancing oh you 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 look and oh it looks similar but when you actually Mm -hmm. look for a second you realize how heavy and how like more more resilient the hardware on the triple graph is to the stutter because it had to be totally yeah it had to live up to a person that's six four six five on stage over 200 pounds stepping on that. This is the guy that actually had to have his big muff rehoused because the foot switch went through the enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> like he'll just, he is brutal on his gear, which is a great beta tester for us. Yeah. So we had essentially had the hardware all finished and, you know, we, I, we had a flash forward. It's January, 2020. We're driving down there for another meeting to essentially show him the final, you know, we've got, what the final thing is going to be, we incorporated his auxiliary thing. We incorporated the latching momentary. We had some test enclosures printed and powdered. We went down there. We had to pick out a final color because we had an issue with a powder. We brought some samples for Jack to pick out and powder. We brought these badge plates that were for the limited edition yellow ones. We brought three different styles. We had him pick it out. We made several different boxes. We had boxes printed up. And we weren't sure what we want to do for artwork. So Jordan and I were racking our brains for the box itself. There's, you know, each front and back heel where serial numbers go. There's the sides. There's the little flap. There's the top. There's the inside. There's all these spots. And what we did was we had a ton of ideas. We just flushed every idea we possibly had out. And what we did was we printed them out in the size that would be incorporated for where it would go. So... If we had a heel idea where the serial number would go, Jordan would design that and we'd print it out. If we had another idea for the heel where the serial would go with our logo and their logo and something else connecting it, we would print that out. And we would lather, rinse, repeat that. 
So we would print those out and then we would laminate them. And then we would cut them to size and we would put a little bit of Velcro on the back. And then on the box itself, so it's not just a digital mock-up, we would put another piece of Velcro there. And that way we could go down there with boxes in multiple sides. This is, oh, so here's all the ideas we had for the side, Jack. Here's all the ideas for the top. Here's all the ideas we have for the inside. Take these and kind of like if you're going out to a buffet, let's take the Velcro, stick it to the side and go, okay, how does that kind of look with the overall branding, the art, the color? Third Man Hardware, again, going back to it, is a new concept, a new idea with um, branding on its own. So we would incorporate that. We would get color codes from them. We would get their actual branding and vectors and stuff that didn't really exist. We would make front heel, back heel, do different insides. We went down there with maybe four, five, six boxes, and we're like, hey, here's all the sides. You know, grab your plate, put as much food on you can as you can, <laughs> and stick these to the side. Like, oh, I like this, but maybe let's move that there. And then we would move the sticker over here, and we'd try that. And it eventually turned into what the final box would be between the standard and the limited edition. We had Jack pick out the powders. We were talking about all that stuff. And, you know, we kind of, we just had a whole, like, buffet of stuff for him to try out. You know, he's trying it in the shop. We're looking at it. At that point, he actually had to leave and go work on a session he was working on. Mm -hmm. But he brought the triple graph with him on that session and was, you know, just working on it that day. Afterwards, we had, like, a three-hour luncheon with Third Man. We hung out in the back and we were kind of just going over the nitty gritty of like numbers, what we wanted to do for the swag. At that point, going back to the book that I mentioned, anybody that buys a unit will get that 130 page book that chronicles from the start of Ben Swank's opening fold out picture all the way to the final product and us taking a picture with Jack holding up the box and everything. That's too Um, cool. During that meeting, we, we hung out with the ladies at Third Man. We're going over numbers, going over the swag. So for this project, Jordan originally started taking photos. He's like, you know, this would be cool for us to kind of have to look back for us. Just stuff to take to be like, man, it's great to kind of remember, keep a timeline, that type of thing. And at one point, it, might, it was probably him talking about like, oh, maybe it'd be cool to have like a book or like some type of like, how often does a company work on four years for anything right. that's this large with an artist of this scale that's working with a small company that builds out of a garage? So Jordan and I went through. We took all the photos that we really liked. We put them in like a one-inch binder, like a ring binder you'd have for school for, for classes. And we had put them in these like little slip covers and stuff. And we had written notes about like, oh, here is about this and blah, blah, blah because we didn't actually have any captions in them. So we sent it down there. When we were in, um, when we were getting ready for this final meeting with them in January 2020, we had actually had a book made. And at that point, this like mock-up prototype book, I think was 50 pages. So we had it. We're showing it to them. And we're talking about like, hey, we thought it would kind of be cool for the limited edition, other than it just being another color. Like it's cool having a yellow one. Yeah. But we thought it'd be cool to, have the badge plate on it. Like we had mentioned, we had a hundred units. They all had a badge on it that would have the serial number actually printed right there. The pedal itself would be yellow with inverted print. And we were like, Oh, it'd be really cool to have this limited edition book. So we're talking about the book. Everybody's really 
jonesing over this book. They love the idea of it. They think it's so cool because Third Man's all about the history. They're all about the story. And they're all about perpetuating the story. Otherwise, it gets lost. Right. So we show them the book, and they're like, man, this book is just too cool. We have to put it in every one. Like, we don't want it to just have 100 people see this, especially if it's more of a collector's thing. Right. Like, we don't want people to, like, miss out on what went into the story, you know? So they give us essentially the green light to do the book. We get back home in the book. We started captioning it, outlining it. It turns into 130-something pages as it is in its current form right now with a spine and everything. It's inside the book. If you get one of them or you have somebody that has one, in the book itself, we'll have a chronological order of the stuff that was done. In there, we'll have captions, like bubble captions of what's going on. What we also did was we put... Uh, sentences in Morse code hidden in the pictures. <laughs> and there's a, de- there's a decoder at the beginning to tell you what each Morse code is. And if you decipher that Morse code that's hidden on certain pages, it'll tell you extra details about that picture or about that process or what happened with it. Oh, that's too cool. That's so, so cool. Yeah, we were trying to put our jack hat on there, and we thought he would like this hidden image idea stuff. So some of them are somewhat obvious. Some of them are like hidden in there with fine lines, and you got to find it, and you got to decipher it. Um, also, all the all of the text bubbles stay in the third man brand type color. So yeah. it'll have red for the white stripes. It'll have blue for Jack White Solo. It'll have yellow for Third Man Hardware in his upholstery company. It'll also do copper for the raconteurs. And that electric green that the raconteurs did in 2019 as well. So if it's relating to something in there or artistically works, we did that as well. Um, but now going to the final product as well, with the limited edition, we had the book. We're going to design it. It's going to go right into it for the top. For the limited edition, we were like, okay, this this pedal is going to cost 50 bucks more. We, we don't want it to just be the color, as cool as that is. So we added the badge plate on the front. And then what we did was we designed a certificate of authenticity that we would hand number and we sent them down to Jack and Jack would autograph them. So Jack, so the first 100 of them actually get a certificate that's signed by Jack. And we were like, that's worth the price of admission right there for that extra 50 bucks. That's way too cool. Just something to try to help it stand out. And when you open up the package, it's right there on top, which was kind of cool. Yeah. I I was looking at that uh, on their website. that's a lot of detail going into a product uh, into a launch. I mean, I realized four years, it's a long time to put into the effort, but then, I mean, you also kind of got me with the whole book thing. I am a librarian after all in my day job. So, <laughs> I mean, you kind of get me there. Uh, it's it, no, remember we, we talked earlier about, you know, it's, it's, it's completely overpopulated at the bottom as you get further up and more, you know, narrow. It, at this point, you're at that top where there's nobody else doing what you're doing. No, no one else. Um, you've got that product. I, there's very few products out there that don't have a competitor of some form, fashion, mm-hmm. in, especially in guitar world. Um, there's definitely not many good products out there that don't have a competitor. There's a lot of bad products that don't have a competitor for a very good reason. <laughs> Um, I won't, I won't name names, but go back a few episodes and listen to our rant from summer Nam. Um, but, uh, no, that's actually, that's a very, very good point that you make Philip too. Cause like what's crazy to think, and we referenced it here in the shop a lot when it comes to clean 
digital octave, I generally can think of electronic. Uh, EHX mm-hmm. does one. They do because obviously, like they're the big guy. Like Jack has the very first Pog recording ever with Blue Orchid. In wow, I didn't realize that was the first one. Yep, that's the first Pog recording ever for uh, on on Get Behind Me, Satan. So that's again, holy crap, we got some big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um. So the you got EHX that does octave stuff. That's clean in digital. Right. Um, for that as well, you also have the Digitech Whammy. Right. So that's another clean octave where they do the drop and stuff. Actually, yeah, so they've got the Digitech Whammy. You've got the EHX. Uh, Walrus, actually, I feel like it's underrated. They make the Luminari, which is yeah. a shark-based clean digital octave. Um, I think Eventide's got some clean octave stuff as well. But like They do. They, they've got some I'm weird kind algorithms. Of, yeah, I'm kind of at the end. Um, and TC then, Electronic has the sub and up. Yeah, and then you've got the the Boss OC5. Yes, bef- when we were that didn't come out until right before Triple Graph, actually. Exactly. So it that wasn't even in out. the world. They had the OC2 and 3 um, that had just come out right before ours. So I'm counting like five, and like I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like I can't think of another clean octave. And then, as you were mentioning so kindly, nothing else competes with our aesthetic or our interactive or the way we've integrated stuff and then on top of that with an artist whose name is almost synonymous with octave with fuzz with being a tone guy yeah it, there's there's nothing else like it and then and i've had a pog i had i've had a couple over the years i've had like a jhs mod one and i've had the pog and um they're so good they're so good but then when you start talking about, oh, you've added the loop, you've added the the momentary versus latching switching, you've added, like, there's so many extra features that if this is a big thing you do, or you want it to be a big thing you do, and it hasn't been able to be because the options didn't fit what you needed it to do, suddenly you have a solution for this. And, you know, I, I use, uh, I use the, the Helix stuff. I've, I had a Helix floor. I've sold it. Um, but I still have an HX stomp and an HX effects and they have been, even they like the, I don't want to call them the the top, but like they live in that digital world. That's where they exist. And even they have struggled with the octave effect to, to make it do what they, what it should do. Um, There's a reason you see a bunch of guitar players that use helix, even full helix. And they still have a pog on their board. Right. Yeah. It's, Living in that space is, like you said, crowded at the bottom, and there's it's smooth sailing up top. There's nobody there. But also, again, the entry level, and to get to a point that any company would get to, especially a size company like ours, the the barrier to break through this is ridiculous. Yeah. Four years plus essentially getting people in here, hiring out people, learning stuff, data sheet after data sheet, you know, failure after failure, learning how to program stuff through like JTAG, learning all of this type of stuff. Like the entry level is very difficult. In that four years, we probably could have put out six or seven pedals yeah. if we wanted to. Absolutely. And it's it, on that end has hurted us, has hurt us. But on the other end, like this finally coming out has just been such a huge thing, and it's been so popular. It's been Third Man's biggest seller. It you know they sell out whenever people get them in. Yeah. Dealers have been very receptive to them, and uh, I think I saw there's uh, pre-orders now being taken for fall uh, shipping right now on their website. Um, yep, 
Yes, because they didn't want to guarantee for the the summer right now. Plus, they also, in September, I think it's September 25th this year, they open up their London store. Oh, so wow. We just sent off some. we just sent off two dozen units to their London store, and hopefully that holds them over for a little bit. But that's the other thing. Outside of the U.S., they haven't been able to get a hold of them as readily because of international shipping, companies not shipping internationally, right. um, tariffs, that type of stuff. So with that UK store, we're looking at you, Brexit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And VAT. So, um, yeah, with that store opening up that they've been talking about, I think they were supposed to actually opening it up. They were supposed to open it up last April or something like that. And it it, obviously with everything going on, delays and stuff like that made it harder. But now that it's opening, it's going to be more readily available, which is just great. Like we have our, our current standing PO with them. Like we have, we're probably going to be building these through Christmas, which will be great because it's another. That's a big season, you yeah. know. It's not the cheapest pedal, yeah. but for three ninety nine, it does a good amount of stuff. It it's we think it's really well built. We like everything about it, um, and it's fun. It's interactive. There's no knobs. It's actually a very you know it's simple pedal. It's three toggle switches and three knobs. Yeah. Uh, three toggle switches and three telegraph keys. That's all it is on this pedal, which. Is pretty streamlined too. That's pretty wild. That's that's really crazy. And I think, I think, and and listeners, you just got a crash course in what research and development can look like in the pedal world and how intense it can be. Um, mm-hmm. We've been going for a little while. I want to uh, I want to stop us here. I want to save a little bit of content for our Patreon supporters. We're going to probably talk a little more about Jack White because I'm really interested in that. Um, sure. And. Uh, but we're going to wrap up the regular episode here. It's been a long one. I hope y'all all enjoyed it. I hope you got to hear something a little bit about um, what it's like uh, for small builders in the pedal industry trying to come up with something new that's not done. Uh, I mean, this that's that's about as cool as it can get in this world. So, um, But until next time, listeners, uh, we're going to sign off here and go over to the Patreon content. Remember, you can go to patreon.com slash 40wattpodcast. And for $5 a month, you can get the extra content and all of the the back uh, content that we've done in the past for Patreon as well. So um, we're going to see y'all later. Y'all have a great week. Remember to be, uh, be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.